good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you're joining us here as well as online. Welcome. And now hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand and worship together.
Hope is a really powerful word, and we're celebrating 25 years of Neighbors Plus and the hope it brings. So there is cake. I think there's also donuts for our fruit element we need this today, but there is cake to celebrate 25 years of Neighbors Plus. And we're just here to share a few of the exciting things that have been happening because we have not taken a break. During the Meet Up and Eat Up program this past summer at Traditions, Pine Creek, and Leisure Estates Mobile Home Park, we packed over 1,200 craft bags to pass out to students. This past summer, we packed 1,600 craft bags. We gave early readers 475 books. Young adult readers received over 225 books. We distributed over 120 backpacks to students who were eagerly waiting to go back to school. Eager. We are also currently teaching ESL classes on Tuesday and Thursday evenings from 6 to 8. The suspension program has already had some suspended students, and we're also doing study hub along with that. We do after school tutoring and um, we're just trying to be a wonderful presence bringing hope on the north side of Holland. We gave over 280 students this summer hope for new learning and great futures. So thank you for sharing your hope in Christ as we share hope for their futures. Thank you, Karen. Hi, my name is Dawn Housecamp and I am the Kids Hope Director for Neighbors Plus. I just wanna begin with a story. Ava was in second grade when she met Mrs. Ellens. Ava lived with her dad during the week and with her mom and grandparents over the weekends. The family situation was very strained. Ava needed a loving person to be a friend and an encourager, and Mrs. Ellens was exactly that. They played games, read books, and made crafts. They looked forward to their time each week, and Ava knew that Mrs. Ellens was there just for her. Each week, they parted ways. Ava was very sad it was over, but Ava would repeatedly look back and wave Mrs. out at Mrs. Ellens and say, hey, you'll be here next week, right? The child, their children like Ava in our local elementary school who could use our unconditional love and support they may be experiencing such things as the loss of a parent, family separation, divorce, bullying, loneliness, or academic challenges. The child might be struggling socially, not fitting in, and in just need of a consistent friend who will let them know that they are special. There are a variety of situations that can be extra challenging for a child. The reason doesn't matter, but the child does. 
So that's why I am sharing with you today our local elementary school that we partner through with Kids Hope Lakeshore Elementary just down the road on 168th is asking for mentors, lots of mentors due to the pandemic. Just people that are willing to walk alongside each child to pray, read, or do a craft. Maybe even throw football outside. The time commitment is only one hour a week, and for some teachers, it might be 45 minutes a week. Um, you'll be trained by me in Kids Hope program and supported in prayer um, faithfully as you serve a child. Please let me know of your interest. I'll be helping serve cake, and I'd be wonderful, it'd be wonderful to talk with you um, and as I give you more information on the Kids Hope Mentoring. Um, today, we are also kicking off our Kids Hope store um, to benefit families that we serve at Neighbors Plus. Um, we are in need of 200 gifts this holiday season. Um, I have the Kids Hope tree set up um, out in the hallway with more information. And also, please look for your emails or an email on Monday, and we'll send you a wish list and an Amazon link to that. So if you want to shop from, your, from home or your office. So um, I'm just encouraging you to all shop early. Um, our um, store is the first week in December, and that's less than a month away. Um, on behalf of all of us here um, at Neighbors Plus, thank you for a wonderful 25 years and hope to see you at the cake stand. Thanks. Let's, um, let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for this report. We thank you that for over 25 years, Hardwick Ministries and Neighbors Plus have partnered together to serve and to reach our community. And we pray, Lord, we pray for your blessing on this relationship and on Neighbors Plus, that over the next 25 years, we'll continue to grow, we continue to thrive together, we will continue to serve together, to serve together to reach our community with the gospel of Christ, testifying to Jesus' love for us in word and deed. Gracious Father, bless this relationship, bless Neighbors Plus, in Christ's name, amen. Thank you all. Thank you all very much for being here this morning. It's good to have you. And for those of you that are joining us um, by live stream, we're happy that you're joining us as well. I have a couple of announcements for you. Um, and really the big one is that on November 9th, which is this Tuesday, um, from 1130 to 1, we'll be having a kind of informal cross-campus potluck. So if you want to drop in, um, bring a potluck dish. If you don't have a dish, just come and eat um, and just join us for a time um, of fellowship. So we look forward to that time and we hope that you'll be able to join us. And also, um, well, I'll now um, dismiss the children down to children's ministry so all the kids can rise. All the energy can flow from their bodies as they race towards the door. I see parental energy. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. God is our refuge and strength in ever-present help and trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not thaw. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. 
kingdoms fail, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Gracious Father, as your people, we pray that you would make yourself known to us. That we might experience the peace of your presence. Even as we strive to follow you and to serve you in a world that often seems it's gone crazy. As we try to make sense of the world around us, may we find our hope and our comfort in you. We pray that we might encourage one another and that we might build each other up for the sake of your kingdom. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Haiti right now, the ones who, well, are still being held as hostages. We pray that your presence would be with them and that through the, the, through the government and through dialogue that you might return them to their church communities with safety. We pray that you would be with us. We pray especially that you would be with the DeVries and the Tamaga families as they mourn the passing of Mark this past week unexpectedly. Might we surround them with love and care. Might they feel that the burdens that they carry, they do not carry alone, but that they are carried along by the community of your people who love them. So Lord, be with us this morning. Be with us as we wrestle with your word be with us as your spirit moves in our hearts. Help us to know you better. Help us to love you more fully. Help us to serve you with all areas of our lives. Bless the preaching of your word now. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's give God thanks again for Neighbors Plus and uh, Kids Hope. Um, I, uh, I just want to add that being a mentor, I've mentored several students in the last 10 years, um, but that's been one of the more fruitful experiences for me personally and has led to a deep friendship with our family. Anyway, that's not everyone's experience, but I just want to encourage you to consider that. Uh, and, uh, and as I was just thinking about that and just thinking about what the DeVries family is going through, and, what I, and just thinking about the past two years, um, I think what we can say without argument is that we need one another. And there is something about the body of Christ when the body of Christ is being the body of Christ to one another and making an impact into the community that provides strength and courage and um, just things that we need. Um, and so be that for one another. Um, I just encourage you. Uh, now, how do you shift? How do you shift to God's word? Well, we jump right into God's word. But uh, once again, I'm, I'm Pastor JB. If I haven't had a chance to meet, I would love that opportunity to meet with you, to get to know you, to be not just the person who speaks on Sunday mornings, but to be your pastor and uh, to be someone who wants to walk beside you. And so I would love that opportunity. Did you all enjoy an extra hour of sleep? 
this morning? Yeah. Parents of young ones, they're all, you did not enjoy an extra hour of sleep, right? I'm with you. I'm, I'm here for you. My kids got up at like five something. But anyway, daylight savings time. This morning, we, we jump right back into a mini-series we've been calling Elijah, Elisha, and Jesus. And uh, today, we are picking up right where we left off last week, last Sunday. Last Sunday, we remembered uh, this epic kind of showdown in 1 Kings chapter 18, where, where Yahweh once again proves that he is the one true God. Uh, what we did not read, we, we kind of cut short right before this, but after uh, Yahweh prevails on the showdown between Baal and, and the prophets of Baal and Elijah and, and, and God, is that all 450 prophets of Baal were put to death. After that, a lot we could go into that. We're not going to say more about that. But after that, uh, rain does come back on the land. The drought ends. Uh, Elisha says there's rain coming. There's some things that happen. Rain comes, falls on the land, uh, giving relief to the, this famine-parched land of Israel and beyond. And from there, Elijah lifts up his cloak and hightails it down the mountain, running faster than a chariot. He heads from uh, Mount Carmel to Jezreel. We got a map on the screen to kind of give you just a little perspective. So he runs. It's about 17 miles from Mount Carmel to Jezreel. From there, we don't know exactly, but I'm wondering, we wonder if Elijah thought that after this incredible experience on Mount Carmel, if King Ahab and Queen Jezebel would have had a change of heart. All the people who saw this miraculous thing turned their hearts to God. When he gets to Jezreel, which is where the palace is, he finds that this has not changed Queen Jezebel's heart. In fact, she makes a commitment, a vow, uh, that what happened to those 450 prophets of Baal would happen to Elijah the very next day. So she makes a commitment that she is going to kill Elijah. Elijah, I keep doing that, I'm sorry. Elijah, obviously, understandably, is fearing for his life. He flees south all the way to Beersheba, which is in the southern kingdom. It's desert land. Uh, Goes to Beersheba, leaves his servant there, goes a day's journey into the wilderness. This picks up in chapter 19. He falls asleep under a broom tree, and he is just completely despair, desperate, depressed, and he prays that he might die. It's a really beautiful story. God says, I got more for you, Elijah. Sends an angel who provides food and sustenance, physical health and well-being for Elijah. Says, you got more ahead of you. Head to Horeb, Mount Horeb. So then from there, this isn't even on the map, um, Elijah travels another uh, about 250 miles, 40 days, 40 nights to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is the other name for the same, the, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Sinai, where God led his people in the book of Exodus after fleeing Egypt. There's a lot of parallels. We're going to talk about those a little bit. But that is where we enter our story today. Uh, the mountain of the Lord, Mount Horeb, 1 Kings 19, verse, we'll be reading verses 10 through 18, if you're willing and able. I invite you to stand uh, for the reading of God's word. Elijah is on Mount Horeb. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, 
Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And, and anoint Elisha, son of Jephat, from Abel Maloha, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that just as you met Elijah on Mount Horeb, in his desperation, in his sorrow, in his troubles, Lord, your promise is that you meet us in our times of need as well. And so, Lord God, we pray once again that you would meet us here this morning through your word, that your spirit would speak into our hearts and our lives so that we might become more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. The quiet. The quiet. Can we do something together just for a few seconds? Will you humor me? I got a couple of nods. Okay, we're going to do it. Yeah. Uh, can we just experience a little bit of quiet? Ten seconds, okay? Let's just be quiet for ten seconds. Now, admittedly, we're all wired a little bit different, right? So for some of us, and, and also we all kind of find ourselves at different seasons and places in life, um, which influence kind of how we experience all things, including 10 seconds of quiet during a church service, right? Um, for some of you, that silence was agonizing and awkward. Maybe that has more to do with the guy standing up here on the platform. I don't know. <laughs> 
For others, you know, maybe that silence was just boring, or maybe it just felt like a waste of time, like I got donuts to eat in a few moments, like what are we doing wasting 10 seconds in silence? And I think for some others, uh, maybe that silence was the most beautiful and peaceful 10 seconds of your entire week because you don't remember the last time you experienced silence because of life circumstances, maybe being a young parent of young kids. All this to say is, admittedly, my wife Yvonne and I um, are very opposite in this area. Any other friends, spouses, opposite? Yeah. Yvonne, she loves the quiet. I don't so much. Okay, there's a picture. Um, for, for Yvonne, her perfect day away would be spending time in front of a fire, reading a good book with no interruptions. That includes interruptions from me, because I'm the one who's always like trying to talk to her when she's reading a book, right? Uh, for me, most often, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm avoiding silence. I have a, a, a podcast playing in my ears when I go on a run. I have the TV going when I'm washing dishes. I have noise or music or something playing. I find myself avoiding silence, uh, maybe not at all costs. So when a movie came out called The Quiet Place, it didn't matter the plot. Like, that sounded like a nightmare. That sounded like a horror movie, right? In fact, I'm the one who's standing on the back deck look, like, looking through the window to see if the neighbors are outside so that it's like, oh, oh, hey, guys. You know, pretend like, anyway, I'm looking for people to talk to, right? At the same time, at the same time, I say that. That's kind of how maybe I'm wired. I don't know what it is, but I've learned how important quiet is. I've come to learn how important silence is and have been trying and working to embrace silence in my life. Spiritual direction has been really important for me to, to step into those silent places, to try to create rhythms, and just to be frank, it's continued to be a struggle. And even right now, I'm, I'm finding, like in this season I'm in right now, I'm finding it hard to just find times of silence and, and seek those times of silence, the quiet quiet. This morning, our passage has something to teach us about the quiet. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this account from 1 Kings 19, uh, also gleaned from the life of Jesus, and then we'll look at how incredibly relevant this topic of silence and quiet is, particularly for our current cultural moment. That's kind of where we're going. So let's begin by looking at our passage, Elijah in the Quiet. It kind of hinges on this verse, 1 Kings 19, verse 12, which is on the screen. After the fire came a gentle whisper. Now that's a Hebrew phrase. We're going to dig into that in a little bit. But before we do, I want us to just take a moment to consider where Elijah is at in this moment on Mount Horeb. Because we kind of went through kind of the context, but let's just say it once again that Elijah in this moment is in a tough spot. Like we remembered last week, he's, he's coming off this incredible moment, right? Literally and figuratively, a mountaintop experience, right? Where the, where the Lord God has defeated the prophet Baal, has shown that he is the one true God. In fact, on that mountain, the people who were there, their hearts turned to God and they confessed that the Lord is God, and yet in a moment, the wheels fall off. He returns to Jezreel. The queen has vowed to have him killed, and now he is on the run in a very dark, dark 
place, both emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. We hear this even in his words as he reaches Mount Horeb, his words in verse 10, right? His struggles, he's filled with fear and despair and isolation and exhaustion. Once again, let me read verse 10. I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. He's talking to the Lord. Torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, Elijah says. And now they're trying to kill me too. We can hear in what he's saying. Elijah is overcome with fear for good reason because the queen has vowed to take his life. He's been on the run since Jezreel. This is over 350 miles he's been running for over 40 days and 40 nights. Elijah is overcome with despair. Uh, just the passage before, I mean, you can just hear the despair. He, he wanders a day into the desert, falls at the foot of a broom tree, and prays that he might die. He is ready to give up. And then here in his words here, by the time he gets to Horeb, he's, he's feeling completely alone. We've actually been told in the previous chapter that there are other, there are other prophets of the Lord. A hundred of them had been hidden in caves in the region. But at this moment, he feels like he is the only one left. And finally, exhaustion. You can just hear the fatigue and the exhaustion in his voice. And again, in that previous passage where he just falls asleep in the middle of the desert, longing to die, this man is exhausted. He is physically and emotionally exhausted, the prophet of the Lord. And what we know about our bodies and our minds and our hearts is that our emotional state has an impact on our physical well-being and vice versa. Elijah is at the end of his rope here on the mountain of the Lord. And as we consider that, let's just take a moment and ask the question, how, how are you this morning? We know that there's many in our community right now who are, who are just reeling with grief and loss and wondering what tomorrow will hold. How are you this morning? I think to acknowledge Elijah's struggles in this moment is important because what it reminds us is this is a word for you. It reminds us that our despair, depression, our anxiety, our feelings of loss and grief, these things do not exclude you from having an encounter with the Lord. Not at all. In fact, I think many of our own experiences would suggest actually that it's in these times of desperation that we are actually more open to having an encounter with the living God. And so no matter what your experience is this morning, know that this is a word for you because it's in this state of emotional despair that the Lord meets with Elijah on the mountain of the Lord, Mount Horeb. But not in the way that he's typically shown up in the scriptures before. It, the Lord meets Elijah in the quiet one of the interesting things you'll notice if you read the account of Elijah is there's a ton of parallels between the life of Moses and the life of Elijah in the scriptures. 
And both of them, of course, are great prophets of the Lord. And, and, and it's not an accident. Because they're prophets of the Lord that Moses and Elijah appear with Jesus, they appear to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's kind of this cool connecting point, right? Uh, Elijah, in many ways, is the prophet like Moses, and then Jesus is the one who would come like Moses. The threefold office, I'm going a little bit on a tangent, but the threefold office of Jesus is prophet, priest, and king, so one of the offices of Jesus is prophet. And so the great prophets meet with Jesus in Matthew 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. But when, Jesus, when God shows up throughout the scriptures, what we call that in, in kind of theological circles would be theophanies, right? Appearances of the divine to human beings on earth uh, through a vision, through a dream, oftentimes the presence of an angel uh, or uh, a physical manifestation. Oftentimes that theophany is accompanied by some display of power. And here in, when there's this direct parallel of Moses on Mount Sinai from Exodus 19 before he receives the Ten Commandments. Verses 19 and 20, you can look at it in your Bibles, but just to kind of summarize those two verses, what we see in those passages is that God meets with Moses and what are the, what are the physical manifestations? There's fire and there's smoke descending from a cloud. We read in Exodus 19 that the mountain trembles. What do we call that? An earthquake, right? And then there's this blast of a trumpet. What's required to, anyone play a trumpet, right? Breath, which is the same word in the Hebrew language as wind, right? And so we have this direct parallel uh, in, from Exodus 19 to 1 Kings 19, except for we're told specifically that God is not in the fire, God is not in the earthquake, God is not in the wind. Instead, God appears to and speaks to Elijah in the quiet. In the quiet. In fact, the word in the Hebrew language is uh, a gentle whisper. There's three Hebrew words, gentle whisper. Kol, the mama, daka. I might be a little rusty on my Hebrew right now. Kol, the mama, daka. Three Hebrew words that it's really difficult for English translators to capture these three words. Uh, in English translations, they're translated a gentle whisper, a still small voice, the sound of gentle blowing. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to translate these three words. You see on the screen, those three words, kol means, is, literally means voice or sound. Adamama means silence, stillness. Daka means thin or fine. It's an adjective. So a very literal translation of this Hebrew phrase would be the sound of thin silence. Sound of silence. I, I told you it was going to be in here, right? Hello, darkness, my old friend, right? Cheap reference. The sound of silence. What does that mean? What is the sound of silence? As I was just reflecting on it, I think it's the kind of silence that gets your attention that startles you because maybe there has just been a fiery windstorm in an earthquake and suddenly there's just silence and it stirs you, it gets your attention because it got Elijah's attention. Because in that moment, in that quiet, there is this space that God meets with Elijah. He, he, uh, he steps out of the cave covering his face because he knows that the Lord is passing by. 
This is the space in which God meets with Elijah to speak the words that he needs to hear. Did you notice he says, I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. What's the last thing the Lord says? There are 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed their knee or kissed the, the Baal God, right? You're not alone. God can minister and mend Elijah's broken heart in the quiet. Elijah in this moment doesn't need another spectacular display of power. He simply needs the assuring voice of his God. He waits for the noise to pass and he steps out of the cave. And here again, we have this parallel to Moses on Mount Sinai. Fast forward from uh, uh, chapter 19 to chapter 33 and 34. Chapter 32, I'm in Exodus now. Moses has just experienced the, the golden calf debacle, right? Where the people have turned their backs on God. He is, he is desperate, he's broken. And this is when God appears to him again on Mount Sinai, same mountain. Moses says, show me your glory. What does God do? He, he, he hides Moses in the cleft of a rock, like a cave, covers Moses because he can't see his face. Elijah covers his face. There's these parallels uh, between Moses and Elijah. And in this moment, in Exodus 34, the Lord reveals to Moses his name, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, giving Moses exactly what he needs to hear. A similar moment where God meets Elijah in the quiet. But Elijah and Moses are not the only ones who met with God in the quiet. Fast forward, hundreds of years later, enters Jesus, right? A prophet like Moses. Jesus also enjoyed a special relationship with the Lord God, and the quiet played a role for Jesus as well. Let's talk about Jesus in the quiet. We have a passage on there from Luke 5, verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One of the interesting, fascinating things that scholars point out are not only are there echoes from Moses' life to Elijah, but there's also all these echoes uh, of Moses' life to the life of Jesus. We don't have time to get into all those, uh, but on the sermon resources on the, the blog page, there's a couple links that you can explore those if you think that's interesting. I find it fascinating and interesting, and so take uh, some enjoyment in that, if you will. But what Jesus has in common with Elijah and Moses are, is he's a prophet, right? He, he, one of his offices is prophet. Prophets were God's mouthpiece. They would hear from the word of the Lord. They would hear a word of the Lord, and then they would pass that word on to the people. And of course, Jesus is God's son, and so he experienced a, a certain level of intimacy that is unmatched by any of the great prophets. However, it's not that he had that intimacy by osmosis or no, we're told by the Gospels that he was intentional about withdrawing to lonely places to pray and to spend time with his father, sometimes overnight. The Gospels have multiple accounts of when that would happen and as that would happen. Jesus had an intimate and intentional prayer life. Uh, and right here, Jesus often met with the Father in the quiet. Those are just some of the references where Jesus retreats to a quiet or lonely or desolate place. Let's jump uh, to that word. Jesus often withdrew to a lonely places and prayed. Uh, the Greek word there is eremos. I'll let you say that one. You want to say that with me? Eremos? 
Aramos. It's a Greek word that means all of those things listed in the box. Uh, Aramos can mean lonely place, can be translated desolate place, quiet place, but it's also the word uh, used for wilderness or desert. Does that play a role in the scriptures? Yes, right? Often. Uh, it is used 49 times in the New Testament. One of the regular rhythms in G the gospel accounts of Jesus' life is he would regularly retreat to Eremos, a quiet, a lonely place to pray. I want to just highlight one of those moments, Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. One of these moments is told. Uh, Jesus, right before this, we're told, his, is when he finds out that his cousin, John the Baptist, has just been killed by King Herod. Uh, not only that, but this, set, this passage begins with the apostles returning. Uh, just previously, Jesus sent the 12 out in pairs to go minister, uh, to do the work of Jesus in pairs. And so they're coming back excited to tell Jesus about all the things that they've done. Jesus is dealing with the weight of losing his cousin, John the Baptist. And at the same time, what we're told is that there are these crowds of people that keep coming to Jesus, wanting him to heal them and minister to them. So this is the context, and what does Jesus say? Onward, let's do some ministry, right? No. This is what Jesus says, Mark 6, verse 31. Turns to his disciples, he says, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, Eremos, and get some rest. You see, Jesus understood the importance of the quiet even as the son of God, even as the son of God, he needed to commune and spend time with his father. Or maybe it's pre precisely because he was God's beloved son that he longed to be and to commune and to spend time with his heavenly father. Maybe both are true, right? Ministry is good, right? Being with those we love is good, but we are wired to spend time and to commune with our heavenly Father. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In fact, the same word, Aramos, is the same word for desert. Do you remember where Jesus went when he was tempted by Satan? It's a desert. He spent 40 days and 40 nights fasting in the desert before the devil approached him and gave him those three famous temptations. I don't know about you, but oftentimes I thought to myself, well, well, the devil knew that this is when Jesus would be the weakest, right? One of my favorite pastors offers this quote and says, maybe we've gotten that wrong. Maybe it wasn't when Jesus was the weakest, but because he'd spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert fasting and praying with his father, maybe Jesus was at his strength. He, he puts it this way in the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness because there was, uh, it was there and only there that Jesus was at the height of his spiritual powers. It was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. I don't know if that's true, but whether you believe that, that theory or some other theory, what is undeniable is that critical to the ministry and life of Jesus Christ was regular rhythms and routines of spending time in the quiet. And all this is to say that maybe, 
maybe, just maybe, we have something to learn from the prophet Elijah and from Jesus. Do we have something to learn from Jesus? That's a silly question. Of course we do, right? It's an incredibly relevant word for our modern context. The quiet. And the reason it's so relevant is because, I don't know about you, but it sure seems like quiet and silence is a fleeting thing right now. Just survey the landscape, 2021. All the data, statistics, and I'm willing to guess most of our own lived experience tells us that we live in the most noisy, busy, distracted time in human history. And the information age and now the digital age has only amplified that fact because we have news and things that are weighty and heavy bombarding us every second of every day, right through our pocket, through this little device, right? Some researchers, social scientists, are even suggesting that, that it's, it's killing us. Our busyness is killing us. In this digital age of distraction, despair, it, it leads to despair. It's been leading to isolation and feelings of exhaustion. Here's just a, a quick stats on technology, some charts up there for those who love stats, right? The average U.S. adult spends three hours and 43 minutes on their mobile devices, which accounts to, which equals about 50 days a year on our devices. The good news is TV time's gone down. We just needed something else to distract us. On average, the, the chart on the right, U.S. adult picks up their phones 58 times per day. 70% of those pickups involve less than two-minute sessions on your device. 25% of those pickups consist of two to 10-minute sessions. And 5%, only 5%, uh, involve an extended over 10-minute session on your device. Meaning it's not that we spend just three hours and 43 minutes of productive work on our device, you know. No, this thing, we're compulsively lifting up and checking our device throughout the day, and it's killing productivity, and it's killing way more than just that. And before we, before we say that, oh, this, yeah, those young people, yeah, you know, kind of elbow your kids or something, it's not just our young people. This goes across generations. Here's an interesting side note. Did you know that there's something called phantom vibration syndrome? <laughs> I never have my phone on ring. It's always on vibrate. So I ex I've experienced this where you feel your phone vibrate and you check and it didn't. They have a name for that, phantom vibration syndrome. We can chuckle a little bit, right? It's crazy. You know, and I share this, and please don't receive this as like someone standing, uh, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a platform, like talking down. No, I'm, I'm sharing this as one, honestly, who struggles with this. I, I share this as, as one who these stats hit me square between the eyes because I've experienced the compulsive and the addictive qualities of this stinking device, and I know it's not good for me. Look, there's, a, there's alerts. I better close it, right? You're gonna read my alerts, right? 
And, and we point out this one, it's only one of the distractions that's been consuming our lives. You know, I think one of the, one of the gifts, if we can call it that, that, co- that this pandemic, COVID-19, gave us, at least at the beginning of the pandemic, I think people, but it kind of cleared our schedules, right? And like for some of us, that was like, that was, that was cool for like a couple weeks, you know? For some of us, it's like we lasted a little longer, maybe we're introverts, but like suddenly, like we were in isolation, right? And, and it cleared our schedules and suddenly it made us realize like, man, our lives are so incredibly busy, from, from all the different activities that consume us, work and our kids' activities and sports and, and social gatherings and fitness and yes, even church, right? We're, we're just busy. And I think the reality is that if, we've come in, if we're coming out of the pandemic, we've slowly been, been putting things back into our life, but are we discerning? What's best? Because we, we, we learn something. We learn something that that busyness and that go, go, go is not the best thing for us. And one of the things that's running parallel to our ever-increasing digital distraction, hectic pace of life, there has also been increasing rates of fatigue, depression, anxiety, feelings of isolation, and I would guess spiritual deserts as well. Now, is correlation equal causation always? No, but there's correlation, Here's a little illustration I think is helpful. Talking to Pastor Sarah this past week, um, her and Steve just got back from Utah. Have you, ever, have you ever been out into the great west or, or even just out in the country away from the city and, uh, and, you, and you step outside at night and there's a clear sky and, and what do you see when you look up? Like that. Okay, that, I'm almost guaranteeing that's cheating. That's like a long exposure. But it gets the point across, right? Like you look up when you're out in the wilderness, out in the middle of nowhere in the country, and you look up and you see stars beyond what you've ever seen in your entire life. But even in a city like, like a small city like Holland, Michigan, right? Why can't we see the, why can't we see the stars? Light pollution, right? We call it light pollution because there's all these other lights, and so it's not dark, and you can't see the other stars. Same is true with sound. Right? We, there's noise pollution, right? You live near the city and the neighbors, or you, know, you live by a busy street, and you hear cars going by, and there's all these different sounds that drown out all kinds of other sounds. So you get out into the country, and suddenly you're hearing things like crickets chirping, or bullfrogs, or branches swaying in the wind, suddenly you can hear things that you could never hear when you're in the city. Friends, our modern world is filled with a different kind of noise pollution. Our busyness, the noise and the voices that keep coming our way, the 24-hour news cycle, digital distraction, these devices, it's all noise pollution and it's preventing us from looking up and seeing the magnificent beauty of our creator God who is Lord. It's why this word is such a relevant word for us today. There is something so important about meeting with God in the quiet. The Lord met Elijah in the quiet. God, Jesus communed with the Father in the quiet place, the Oremos, and Jesus longs to meet with you in the quiet as well. 
But what it often requires is for us to turn down those other distractions, to carve out space in our life for intentional quiet. And, and we just need to say at the front end that this is gonna be hard. Because if you're, if you're like me and, and this thing captures your attention, it, you gotta have intentional strategies to not let that thing control you. If you sense God calling you to this, you gotta fight these compulsions. Again, this is all invitation. I'm not, this is not out of guilt or anything, but if you sense that you want greater intimacy with God, that you wanna experience God and you wanna hear his voice, it might require some intentional strategies to turn down the noise in your life or to maybe clear out your schedule a little bit. I don't know. Here's a couple of ideas that uh, I have sometimes tried, oftentimes failed at. Some ways to combat, combat digital distraction. Turn off notifications, or at least turn off some of them. Right? You don't need to know every time someone comments on one of your posts. You'll get to it. I would suggest you probably, you don't, you actually need to know every time someone messages you. You'll get to it. You, you don't need to know all these things the moment they happen. We, we're told we do, but turn off some of your notifications. Second thing, set screen time limits. Most of our devices have screen time limits. Um, and this is a word to myself, set them, because I've set them a long time ago, but don't ignore them, because it's really easy to ignore them. Confession. It's easy to say, just ignore that limit and stay on my phone. Set screen time limits. Follow how much screen time you're on. Remove apps from your phone that are problematic. If you notice that every time you go on this certain app, you leave like more upset and angry, or you're just constantly going and brainlessly browsing this certain app, decide whether that app's worth having on your phone. Take it off. Uh, have designated time where devices are put away. This is something that our family probably needs to reinstitute. For a while, we had no Tech Tuesday. And for us, it was just turning the TV off was the big thing, and we started doing puzzles. Any puzzlers out there? Puzzles are beautiful. I really see, yeah. So just find things to do that don't involve technology and allow you and your loved ones to engage. Uh, and that's kind of the last one, plan device-free activities, maybe going out on a hike, things that you don't bring your devices with you and you connect with each other. I know some of you are doing this already and that's a beautiful thing. And then I just wanted to just mention the resource on the bottom. If you're a parent and you're like, I don't even know how to navigate parenting in the digital age, uh, it's an incredibly, uh, a wonderful local West Michigan um, organization, Protect Young Eyes. They have all kinds, of, like you're like, I don't even know what this app is, TikTok. Or, when the pastor says TikTok, you should laugh, yeah. I don't even know what that is. Well, they've done all the research. They'll tell you the, 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 the loopholes. I mean, anyway, just an incredible resource. They do presentations. Anyway, check that out. By the way, all of these kind of things that I'm, did you know that tech developers practice all of them? Because all of these devices, all of these apps are designed and engineered to be addictive, to keep you just sucked in. And all the people who've developed these apps are practicing these things because they know that truth. And so don't feel guilty about it. They're designed to do what they're doing to us. So don't, you know, but find freedom in Jesus Christ, right? So 
now that we've cleared up some of that noise pollution, let's take time to look up. Here, and we gotta go. I'm way over time. I apologize. Carve out five minutes of quiet in the morning or night instead of your phone being the first and last thing that you look at. What about parking this thing away from your bedside so that instead of a phone being by your bed, a Bible is by your bed? Just an idea. Um, spend a minute wherever you're at. And, and to be honest, it's gonna feel awkward. It's gonna, maybe nothing's gonna happen, but that's okay because you're developing spiritual muscles slowly over time. Again, I cannot emphasize that I don't share this as some kind of expert on the subject, but one who struggles deeply with this. But I know that as we journey together, as we hold one another accountable together, we are gonna find life and we're gonna begin to look up and see the beauty and glory of God that right now is being drowned out by the noise in our world. And with that, let's go to God in prayer. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth found through the centuries. That Lord, there's something sacred about that quiet space where Lord, you can speak into our lives. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, we as adopted sons and daughters of the Lord can have the same kind of intimate relationship with you, our God and Father in heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the gift and grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, let us not take that for granted, but, Lord, may we continually be seeking new opportunities to experience your grace and your love in Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his name. Amen. Amen.
has come to make a way and God himself has paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice I will wait for you I will wait for you through the storm and through the night I will wait for you surely wait for you for your love is my
Oh! 